Welcome to Everyone Gets a Trophy. I'm Paul Bobbington, joined by my compadre, Kevin Dunn, my brother from another mother. And it's an exciting week of sports. We get to talk about a nice Longhorn victory. We're going to talk a little bit about what's going on with Harbaugh up in Michigan. And uh, I think we may even talk about the SEC and how the bottom half of that league isn't so mighty after all. Of course, we're also going to have to talk about a Big 12 mascot fight after we heard Mike Leach's uh, press conference in which he mused about which Pac-12 co- uh, mascots would win in a giant loser leaves town open brawl. <laughs> and uh, he took it very seriously, Kevin, didn't he? He did. He, he really is. He's one of a kind, and he's great for college football. And when I saw that intro, if it would have been any other coach, I would have turned off. But I was all ears, and he did not disappoint. And I think it's, it's only fair that we do a Big 12 mascot battle. All right. Do you, do you think Mike Leach is just like a little tad on the spectrum maybe? Yes, I do. Uh, a funny story. Yeah. So my dad is, is dating a woman, I don't know, maybe a decade ago. And Leach is, she's very good friends with Leach's wife. So they go down to the Keys and he's, you know, it's going to be one of those where it's a couple things. So you're going to hang out with the other guy, whether you know him or not. My dad's pretty jacked because he's like, oh, I mean, this is Leach, right? So Leach has them meet him because the wife, his wife was doing something when they got down there on the second floor of a bar in the Keys. So they go in there, they go to the second floor, and very quickly they realize that the second floor was clothing optional. And there are guys in dusters, women all over the place. <laughs> And he was doing it just for shits and giggles, which kind of shows you Leach's, his, just his mind and, and how he has fun with people. He messes with people a lot. And my dad thought right away, he's like, this is going to be a fun weekend. And it was. That's terrific. You know, I, I read a story, I think it was Bruce Feldman's story about Leach, where a bunch of different folks were talking about him. And I, I think Spike Dykes, one of his fellow air raid bros, chimed in. I don't know if you heard this, Kevin, but when Spike got fired at, I think, Cal, Leach calls him and says, uh, you know, what's, uh, I heard about that deal, you know, uh, that you're not working at Cal anymore. <laughs> and Dice is like, yeah, I mean, I, my wife's expecting, we just put, we just bought this house. It's our dream house. We, we were really building something here. We were getting used to the community. Our kids have got to move schools. Like it's, it's heartbreaking. And uh, Leach is like, so uh, you got any good players that want to transfer? <laughs> <laughs> right to the point, right? Right to the point. So, uh, yeah, Leach is an interesting character. All right. So I am going to, in rapid-fire succession, rattle off some Big 12 mascots. You react to the mascot. I'm probably going to start weak and trend towards strong. All right. And uh, if you're wrong about anything, I'm going to chime in, okay? Well, you, you usually do. I usually do. All right. Horn Frog. Yeah. You know, it's maybe the coolest of the frogs, but at the end of the day, it's a frog. I'm not really sure what they can do. So it's one of those that in its own little world, it's big time, but it's not big time in this world. Sounds a little like TCU. (laughs) Well done. It's also not a frog. It's a reptile. It's a lizard. We're moving on. Yeah, that horn frog is going to get stomped. It's it's a mammal. Um, it's, wi- a it's, it's a platypus. <laughs> the wildcat, you know, I yep. love the feline species, and so I'm I'm all about the wildcat. The wildcat could be uh, the wildcat is it could be tough 
as if it's sneaking up on you and it's not going to be I'm trying to think of the wildcats. It's not going to be huge. It's not one of the bigger cats, but it's a cat and it's a, it's a feline. So you, you need to watch out because they've got multiple weapons. They've got their teeth. They've got what? 20 razor blades if they really want to mess around. So in the wrong, you know, in the wrong situation, they could be tough. They've got drunken girls wearing purple. Well, that too. Yeah. And they're living in Manhattan, yeah, so there's only like 11 people, five with guns. Well, you lived in Manhattan. Yeah, a little different Manhattan there, although there uh, were probably as many guns in that Manhattan as the other one. So, Wildcat, we agree, pound for pound, formidable, but in the bigger picture, it's going to get stomped. Yes. Yep. Maybe it, maybe it manages to kill the horn Frog before it gets stomped. No, it's definitely killing the horn Frog, and maybe a couple others. All right. Jayhawk doomed done move on i mean outside of cheating in a rug there's nothing to talk about you know who a jaycock can defeat who the ncaa (laughs) very well very well uh we're moving on oh pathetic sooner (sighs) does the schooner come with it no, no, the actual Sooner. The actual, it could be the Sooner, but who cares? The actual the Sooner? Actual concept of a Sooner. No. The land thieves. Yes, no. So I, basically, these are common criminals that are unarmed, yes. cowardly, and not even capable of, like, uh, dangerous or violent crime. They, they perform white-collar crime. <laughs> right. Pathetic. The Sooner's going to get mauled by a... A bear, which is our next one. They, they the were actually. Or a bear. Oh, hold on, the Sooner was actually ahead of their time, though, so we have to give him that. And it's the first well, time yeah, we ever said I that about Oklahoma. Sooner is ahead of his time. All right, uh, all right. The bear, uh, that's going to be a tough one, my man. Uh, the the bear is probably going to win out. We'll see if we've got any other, any other contenders. I got a couple of thoughts on that. I'm a huge fan of bears. You know that I love the outdoors. I'm a big hiker. I've encountered bears in the wild. I've encountered brown bears in the wild, grizzly bears, uh, from 50 yards away, which will definitely uh, get your interest. I've encountered many black bears. The Baylor bear is a black bear, Kevin. Yeah. Does that alter your opinion? Uh, not really, no. Um, I, I well, it's mean, the smaller and less aggressive of the bears. Right? right, right, but it's still a bear. And if you're still in a situation, it, like I said, it depends on the contenders. It's like the whole okay. leech thing, the whole Ute. Well, did he trade for a gun or not? Did that uh, did that Ute trade for a rifle? <laughs> if he did, that's a problem. Uh, I agree. A bear is formidable. Uh, no joke. Hey, hey, do you rem- I, hey, do you rem- do you remember? Story. Okay, go ahead. So when I was a little kid, Baylor used to have an actual bear that they'd take around on a collar. That was their mascot. And when I was a little I was kid, just I was about to, to say game. that. And the Baylor Bear, who was kind of a cub, kind of a sub-adult, yep. shimmied up the goalpost and wouldn't come down. Do you remember that? <laughs> no. I remember I remember the Bear, and I remember in 95, the Richard Walton game, the Thanksgiving night game, they showed the little, like you said, it's pretty much a cub, cub, black bear, and Bevo. And I thought, wow, this is really cool. We have two, two mascots. I don't remember that. What, what year was that? This was in Austin. It was probably in the late 70s, early 80s. I was a little kid, and this bear was walking past the end zone. He broke away, shimmied up the goalpost, (laughs) wouldn't come down, and uh, it was super cute. Pretty impressive. Oh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. A redeeming quality out of Baylor. That's right. 
So here's the next one, the Mountaineer. The Mountaineer. Now, the Mountaineer, I- I've, I've run into the real mascot, and he's usually, I don't know, three sheets to the wind, and, and he's carrying some type of homemade jerky and all that. He's carrying a rifle. It- it's essentially a redneck, right? Well, it's a, it's a redneck with a musket. But I think that's important. You got to consider the technology. It is, and to, in my mind, it basically looks like a registered sex offender wearing buckskin. All right, uh, yeah, that's kind of where I was going there. All right. Next, now it's gonna, we're going to go up a notch here, Kevin. We got a cowboy, and that cowboy's got some guns. He's got some pistoleros on him, Kevin Dunn. Yes, he does. How many bullets does is he going Barney Fife here? I want to know exactly how many bullets because you're going to need some to to take on that bear. And them six, them six shooters, them six shooters. Right. Does he have any extras, though? Because I'm not sure that that's going to kill the bear. (laughs) Phenomenal question. A poignant question. Here's why I was hiking in Alaska. I went there with my dad and hiking in an area with a bunch of brown bears. And this is the time um, early September when the the salmon spawn still going on. So bears are fishing. They're not too interested in us. They're all fat and happy. Right. Yeah. And I'm walking down the, the river backpacking along and i run into a fisherman he's out there fishing i mean it's like shooting fish in a barrel and he has a big 40 uh he has a big 357 magnum mounted on a uh, chest harness with the uh little strap on it undone so if he needs to he can grab that thing and get it out really quickly and so i say to him yeah how's the fishing pleasantly pleasantries whatever and i say to him hey man i noticed you got that big gun uh, I kind of feel naked. I'm hiking here, you know, with nothing. And he goes, oh, you're fine. He's like, the gun's not for the bear. The gun's for me if a bear charges. I'm going to shoot myself in the head. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's the funniest suicidal joke I've heard in years. It's the best bear suicide, murder-suicide <laughs> joke ever told. Easy. All right. We're moving on to kind of a esoteric, odd concept, a Red Raider. A Red Raider. What is the concept there? I don't think I've ever even thought about it. So the Red Raider is sort of a masked Zorro-like figure, but the Red Raider does have a pair of pistols. Okay. All right. Here's the problem. Okay. Go. It's mounted on a horse, which should be an advantage. But as we know, that horse has very very poor sense of direction and is (laughs) run into concrete barriers. So I think think the Red Raider is going to come out hooting and hollering and shooting and go straight into a concrete barrier. Does the Red Raider have frozen tortillas? I think this is an important question. You know what? The frozen tortillas could be used to distract the bear. Aha. I was thinking about knocking people out like they've done there. But, yeah, that, that, that too. You think you could knock someone out with a frozen tortilla like a shuriken, like a, like a Chinese throwing star? Uh, there's, there's always been stories about those when those were coming down that it's like a rock. It'll knock you out. And I've never been down there with the helmet on, so I don't know. So I will take their word for it. It's like the apocryphal stories you hear of you drop a penny off the Empire State Building, it'll it'll kill someone and go through the street. It'll kill five people and cause it'll cancer. Kill, it'll ricochet and kill nine people. Right, exactly. All right, who's next? All right. Who's next? This is a very difficult one because I want you to assess the incredible power of a weather event we call the cyclone. Ooh. I didn't even think yeah. about Iowa State. And that's no joke. Is it? This is kind of, it's a little different because it, it's real, but 
a little version of Arizona State, as Leach talked about, what kind of supernatural powers do they have, right? Well, I mean, how 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 serious of a cyclone, and we know they can do damage. That's a weird one. That 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 one's a sleeper. Wait, I got to stop you here. Are you are you of the belief that cyclones are not real? No, I am. I am under the belief that they're real. I'm saying that that's why I said it's a little different than the Arizona State one because because it's real. Uh, Did you not catch that yeah. part? I got you. I got you. I'm slow. Okay. Here's the problem, Kevin. The the actual mascot is manifested in a bird, a stupid bird. I know. A stupid four fingered bird. I don't. I don't think that bird, even if it can manifest wind powers and rain, I don't think it's gonna. I don't think it's gonna last. So do they have that bird? Because that's one of the birds that can get through storms like that. No, I, I have no idea. Is, is there a bird that can get through storms like that? I didn't. I don't know. I mean, I, it makes no sense for them to have a bird. Then again, it makes no sense for AM to have a dog. It's uh its Latin name is Buddyus Hollius. <laughs> All right, who's next? <laughs> <laughs> the Longhorn. The Longhorn. The, the majestic steer. How do we think old old Bevo's going to do? Bevo's going to have some problems with that bear. I don't know if the bear would mess with Bevo, and so that's where you can get into that. That maybe his. We got a size issue here, Kevin. A a big black bear is going to be four hundred pounds. Right. Bevo's in his prime. Bevo's packing a ton. He's packing a ton, so the bear may stay away, and he clearly has the horns, as we saw in the Sugar Bowl, and they can use those to protect themselves and do some serious damage. But I got to go with the bear, man, right? Well, here's the deal. They actually used to bait bears with uh, steers back in the day, specifically longhorns. So it's the opposite of Ugga, then, with bull baiting, the reason that – Bevo was so pissed off was genetically they've used bulldogs to bull bait. Yeah, and the bulldogs would basically hang off of their nose and like hold on while the, the steer tried to flip them around, stuff like that. They would actually take, you can look this up, they would get coliseums in, in old Mexico before uh, we became Texas and before California became California. Yeah, yeah whatever, uh, whatever it is now, which Austin's trying to turn into. Yeah, that's, that's, a, side, that's a side tangent. That's going to sadden us both. But we got tents in the office. Uh, they used to actually get black bears and tie them to steers and let them go at it. And apparently it was what you expected, which is it's actually kind of sad. The bear would try to get away. The, the, the longhorn would try to get away. And then eventually the longhorn would usually kill it or trample it to death. Oh, wow. Okay. Now so they, but that's they, what I've read. That's, but, that's what the old historical accounts say. But they were tied together, and boy, people back then were really good human beings, weren't they? Yes, they were. Yes, they were. That, that's what I take out of that story. Yeah, good stuff there. Um, good thing we don't have pit bull fighting anymore, right? Yeah, yeah, right. It, it's completely gone away. Uh, check you know what? Out, I check out Louisiana. I think you may be underestimating the power of firearms. I think I'm. I'm putting my money on the cowboy. Yeah, at the end of the day, you probably would. I mean, he's a cowboy, so he knows how to knows how to shoot. He knows what he's doing. He's probably been in situations similar to that. And yeah, I mean, look, there's a reason why any animal that we want to go extinct, we can make sure they go extinct. True. Yeah, cowboys did a pretty good number on uh, buffalo, right? Yes, they did. Yes, they. That that was the other thing with the Ute. I thought, well, I mean, the Ute, they were definitely. 
feasting off buffalo, but they were being conservative about it, right? Wouldn't it the white? Uh, you know, wouldn't it the? I mean, we it, well, tan- we'll get into a tangent on that one, but it's interesting. There's uh, there's been new studies on that, and basically, the Native Americans were human beings just like us. And if they had the capacity to slaughter a thousand buffalo, if they could, if they could run them off a cliff, if they could do all those sorts of things, they would do it. And they'd eat what they could and leave a bunch of animals laying around dying what? Uh, and walk off. So da- humans you know, are humans. I think a lot of their capacity just depends on technology. Oh, damn that Kevin Costner. I knew I shouldn't have t- I taken that movie historically. I, well, now, I do think there, were, there absolutely were cultures that used every part of the buffalo, as they say. But... Uh, those were probably the cultures that survived and flourished, but there were plenty that didn't, that wasted everything around them. In fact, a lot of the big deserts in the United States, they were formed by man. They weren't formed by natural events. They were formed by man burning and clear cutting. And, and it was all pre-technology, old, old folks. Same thing with Australia and the Aborigines. They used to set huge brush fires to kill prey and then they'd go eat it. And it caused massive deserts throughout, throughout Australia. So and do you, I mean, is, you know, would you, human li- human beings. would you like your meat well done, though? Yeah. Well, what happens when you get to that thing finally? And, and... You're going to eat a wallaby, baby. You want it well done. <laughs> you want it well done. You, you don't want to actually taste it. All right, Kevin. I think we need to talk about Texas Longhorns and Oklahoma State Cowboys. Texas got a big win over one of probably one of the two or three best teams remaining on their schedule. Uh, it was a close affair. It probably didn't need to be that close, aside from a couple of fumbled punts that made things interesting down the stretch, but Texas got a big win. And I think people need to be not shy to celebrate the victory. It was a big win for Texas. Yeah. That was one of the, one of the things that I wanted to get across on the post game show right after was because a lot of times you're going to get reactionaries and I get that. And when it's a night game, people have been partying or drinking all day. And so their emotions get out of hand a little bit and you can't try and turn your fan entitlement and your expectations back to 09 like that. Enjoy the process back. And part of that process is having a B, B-minus game. As Tom Herman said, they coached a B-minus game against, like you said, one of, your, one of the top opponents on your schedule, and you get a W. There's obviously a lot of stuff to clean up, a lot of questions about injuries. We're going to get to that. But, Paul, this is a good sign that you don't have to play your A game to get a W. Yep. So talk to me about the Texas defense. What did we see in terms of an A game and game planning that Todd Orlando came in with? You know, I'm not sure he's there yet, but I think Orlando understands against most of the offensive lines they play. I think his durability and endurance is is getting better. Keandre Coburn can really, really help out Todd Orlando's game plan. And it's not to Puna Ford's level yet, but we talked about that 13-10 game a couple years ago that Oklahoma State one against Texas here in Austin, and Puna Ford was huge in that. He, he allowed Todd Orlando schematically to do so many different things. I thought it was really good that Texas, you know, we talked about it, that Chuba Hubbard was going to be the number one thing to stop. You start there, you worry about Wallace, Sanders, Stoner, and the other guys after that, and Texas was selling out on the run. Mike Gundy talked about it on the telecast right before they, they kicked it off. He said, I want to see how much they're going to sell out on the run. Texas was going to make sure that they had bodies in the box, and they were going to make Spencer Sanders continually beat them downfield. This guy is a hell of a talent. He's quicker and faster. We knew he was, but even more so than I thought. And I think if you ask Caden Stearns and some of the angles that they took, they miscalculated his foot speed. 
But schematically, I thought Orlando did a really good job to, look, give up some yards, but as we talked about, holding the three, getting some big third down and fourth down situations, and that's when you have to ball out. And the defense did that. Add to the fact that at some point in this game, they were missing four defensive backs that would have been out there. So you lose Stearns, you lose Jalen Green, Overshone is already out, Foster's already out. This was a pretty nice tape job by Orlando. Not a perfect game, not a clean game, but a W, and uh, I was impressed. Yeah, you know, on that point, I, I actually thought Texas played an honest box. I didn't think they overloaded on the run. Now, they did do some things with the secondary, bringing them on stunts and having them be, you know, sit down and be aggressive on that outside zone run. But we, we had five in the box a lot of the time. Yeah, but, it, but, but it ended up being six a lot of the time. Pre-snap, I know what you're talking about, but he moved mm-hmm. people around. And one thing I do like is he, for the most part, protected his corners. But those guys at times were coming down and coming down hard. We saw Jalen Green at times, who was not in the box. Or not Jalen Green, uh, uh, Jameson come in crashing to try and set the edge that Texas did, you know, didn't set a lot. But I, I, I like the way he played it. One thing we can say that a lot of the pre-snap stuff did not stay the same. So it was not that single high safety that Burrow can read the whole time. I, I thought he did a good job of mixing it up. Yep, and I thought that they were wise in just keeping a double team on, yep. on Tylen Wallace yes. the entire game. Yes. And I, I thought that was probably the bigger emphasis in our game plan. If they were going to take someone away, it was Wallace first. And then I think they sort of said, look, Hubbard has his success running that outside zone play. Let's play that honest box, but let's have our corners squat down on that zone run. Let's have them crash down hard. And as you said, because we played a two-deep shell, we played two safeties back, we, we weren't doing zero blitzing or any of that stuff to stop the run, that still allowed us to keep that double team. So Oklahoma State and Sanders were able to hurt us with their secondary receivers and, and Sanders' legs, but their main guys really got thwarted and ultimately – uh, we probably hold them under 30 points if we didn't have those two fumbled punts, right? Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, that's part of the sloppy play that Texas has to clean up. But you take those out, and obviously the first one results in a touchdown right before half. I thought they they created some adversity for themselves, then answered it. But getting back to the two deep look, something that we had talked about against LSU, that we wanted to see more of that. I liked the way he mixed coverages, too, and especially liked it whenever he's got Chris Adamora and guys like that in there. And Adamora actually flashed a little bit. That was not only on the onside recovery, but a pretty nice play where they were trying to show a fake screen and then pop a guy out. And he made a nice, nice athletic play, read it as a freshman, realizing, oh, they're trying to sucker me in on this screen. I've got to get back and had a nice uh, pass breakup, even though there was a touchdown right after that. Do we want to talk special teams? Yeah, let's get into special teams here. What's your take on this? All right, so I don't pin any blame on the coaches for Jake Smith fumbling. That's, that is a freshman fumbling. It happens. It's part of his development. It's part of his growth. What's, what's tough is when Texas is up 36-23, lead preservation, the ball is the main thing. Oklahoma State has to punt, and Brandon Jones, who's the – safe returner uh, making quote marks in the air. Yeah. Uh, like the kind of a-hole who makes quote marks in the air that everybody hates. <laughs> uh, he sprints up and tries to do a Willie May, say, say hey, Willie Mays slide to field the punt. Uh, you know, you can make a pretty strong argument. You shouldn't even have a punt returner in in that situation. Agreed. And you tell or him. Or if you do, 
you tell them to stand 55 yards back yep. and just stop any punt that's rolling and might, you know, might pin you down too much. Otherwise, yeah. stay away from it. If this guy hits a 70-yarder, you fair catch it with guys that are 20 yards in front of you. That's it. So I, I got to think that the coaches need to have the, the game management understanding to pull Brandon Jones aside before that kick and say, hey, son, here's what we need you to do. And I think that's a key aspect. Hey, buddy. Hey, tell your bitch to be quiet. I need to go deal with that. Hold on. All right, right, man. I'm sorry about that. That's all good. You want to continue here? Hey, I apologize. Freaking UPS driver keeps ringing the doorbell like an idiot. It's like, just leave the package and go, (laughs) shithead. Uh, We were talking about you've got to pull Brandon Jones aside and have a word to him. Yeah, just go there. Anyway, sorry about that. I had a barking dog. Wanted to – I had a – 30-pound golden doodle, want to tear apart the UPS, man. So, <laughs> anyway, I was just saying the coaches need to have a word with Brandon Jones before that situation, explain it to him. Obviously, that didn't happen. Uh, then the other thing that this is just pure coaching is that onside kick. OSU lines up by alignment and has us outnumbered 5-2 to two where they're kicking the ball. Yeah. And we allowed that, and we have Court Jack Hess, walk-on linebacker, over there as part of our hands team. Yikes. So he flubs the kick. Thankfully, Adamora saves the day and prevents disaster. But, boy, that, that is not great attention to detail. And I kind of wonder if that aspect of the game, onside kick return, something like that, was tasked to a GA or an analyst, and that's a person who doesn't really understand what they're doing. Well, who works with special teams for Texas? Who's the guy? Well, the titles are deceptive. Right, but Herman kind of part of that part of that, right? And that's where you kind of uh, you kind of wonder exactly. And you're right, the titles because Nivar, I believe, is in there. You kind of wonder exactly. It, it does feel like one of those things. Hey, we're going to do a group effort, and and we'll see we'll see when we get to it. But then again, that that's that's we're, this is complete conjecture, which is, I guess, a lot of this podcast. Yeah, pretty much. That's the point of it. Uh, but end of the day, we don't want to be the hypercritical guys. No. And I appreciate the win. It was a great win. Uh, I thought the defense showed positive signs. I think that they did some stuff to establish a real defensive identity. You know, my criticism earlier in the year and through the LSU game and last year, frankly, was we were a defense of a bunch of calls rather than a coherent base that you build calls out from. And I think Orlando is hitting rewind and installing his base defense. And that's going to happen even more in the bye week. Do you want to talk a little bit about the offense? Yeah. What's your? Uh, I know you were uh, all over the offense. What was your take on it? I mean, you got to be pretty happy, man. It, the funny thing is, before you do that, you know Sam was not mentioned at all by Tom Herman in the postgame pr- press conference, and he goes for four touchdowns and plays like that. Getting back to our expectation thing, our expectations for our quarterback are pretty damn high now, and they should be. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to say it, and I'll, I'll get grief for it because I know people have the, well, he, need, he needs to win something, whatever. Uh, he's entering that tier of Bobby Lane, Vince Young, Colt McCoy, where game by game, you just know he's going to be there. And if he's not there, it's shocking or surprising to you. And the guy goes 20 of 28 for 281 yards, four touchdowns, as you said. He carries it 10 times for 70 yards, including that game-clinching third-down run roll where he kept it and ran 29 yards to ice the game. He was phenomenal. And even his interception, I thought his receiver could have been a little more aggressive in, uh, in fighting for the ball and, and protecting space and protecting his quarterback. Can so, we talk about that quickly? Job. 
Sorry? Can we talk about Epps there in that route a little bit quickly? Yeah, absolutely. So you've talked about him fighting off coverage and being tough enough. I also thought he probably could have given a, given a better effort on the long throw down the left sideline where it was pretty tight and he didn't exactly extend. I understand he's still getting used to game speed and being out there with the bright lights and all that. But on the interception, did you not think he could have run that route a little bit better? Because Green crossed him pretty and undercut him pretty pretty easily. Yeah, so Epps didn't square his route. He rounded it. Yes. And that allowed Roe Williams to undercut him. And when Epps felt him on him, on his hip, undercutting him, he needs to hip check him. Hip check him. He needs to clear out space. He needs to drop that arm subtly and give him a little push. That's not going to prevent – that's not going to allow him to catch the ball, but it's going to prevent Roe Williams from grabbing that interception. Right. And some of that's subtlety, some of that's just aggression. And, you know, Epps had a tough game overall. I, I don't want to dwell on it, but, you know, he – I think he's more comfortable playing Rice-level secondaries right now rather than what we've seen so far in terms of Oklahoma State, LSU, or even Louisiana Tech. Uh yeah, I don't know what to say. I do have a couple of criticisms. I mean, and I'm saying criticisms in the big picture. We had 503 yards of offense until we did our two kneel downs, which dropped us below 500. And we averaged 7.3 yards per play, which is we're not, uh, we're not whining about ball control offense anymore. No, we're but not. I did notice the two calls that were pretty crucial that were kind of own, own goals in a sense by the coaching staff. And, and Herman – to his credit, flagellated himself about it in the post-game presser. The first one that I noticed that people didn't discuss as much was in the, in the second quarter. We uh, were rolling, we're up 14-6, and it's fourth and three on the Oklahoma State 29. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. So fourth and three, Oklahoma State 29. We ran hurry up, sprinted to the line. Oklahoma State basically outnumbers the box, lines up in a, basically a zero blitz to stop the run, and we ran the call that we had, the, pre, the pre-signaled-in call, which is just basically a, a dive to, to Keontae Ingram. It gets stuffed. Texas loses momentum, and I think probably a likely opportunity to score a touchdown. So that bummed me out. And then I think people got – what got even more attention was in the fourth quarter. Uh, OSU 38-yard line. It's third and one, and we ran that Ellinger draw into a zero blitz. Uh, that, that bothered me. Yeah, and I think it bothered Herman because that's a check-with-me situation Yes, where you line up, everyone's head over, goes over to the sideline, you look at how OSU's lined up, and then you go, check that, check that, no, no quarterback draw, let's flip it out to Duvernay, who's been getting an easy 5 to 10 yards every time he touched the ball, and let's get a new set of downs and go ice the game. And that was, that was, that was bad coaching in the purest sense, and I'm not saying that we have bad coaches. or anything. I'm just saying in that individual situation, that was bad coaching. And I think if I said that to Tom Herman to his face, he'd, he'd nod and go, yeah. Uh, I don't think he'd have a problem with it. You know, the, the thing I like about Herman, there's a lot of things, but I, he has seemed to own everything. And, look, I know it's early on and they're winning right now and it's only year three, but it, we've had a lot of sensitive coaches here and not just covering them, but also obviously covering them. But as a fan – it's nice to see a coach say, yeah, you know what, uh, I had a B-minus game and here's some things that we didn't do right. A lot easier to do after a win and a lot easier to do, I get it, when the momentum of the program is surging and, and definitely heading in the right direction. But I'm all for that. I mean, look, with the quarterback power, especially considering how good the passing game in, 
game is, and you just mentioned Duvernay, there's no reason to run into that. You don't have to. Some teams have to do that because the the alternative just doesn't have high enough percentages. We got high percentages all over the place, whether we're throwing it, depending on who we're throwing it, how we're throwing it, who's running it, how we're running it. This is going to be a versatile offense. There's no reason to run into that Run into that if you don't have to. Yeah, and speaking of Duvernay, oh, my God. Yeah, I know. I mean, talk about a guy that all these quote-unquote smart people thought had sort of defined his ceiling, and we kind of knew what Duvernay was, right? And we didn't know what Duvernay was. No. 39 catches through four games. He has been nails. And I, I just – I feel almost a weird pride like that this guy could stick in there, keep fighting, weather the criticism. Remember, he was a five-star recruit. People expected him to be this, you know, sprinting, take the top off the defense, you know, superstar. And when he struggled and when he showed different abilities, which when he showed that actually he's very reliable, he's hard to tackle. Good hands. Uh, he's got amazing hands. We suddenly realized that this guy's a slot receiver. And he started to move a little better. He got better side-to-side, better lateral ability. I, I, mean, I think a hat's off to, to Yancey McKnight on that one. And suddenly we've got one of the most reliable – basically he's an upgraded Quan Cosby. Yeah, he is. And, but, I, you know, Quan's one of the best receivers in Texas history, and Duvernay is on pace to have one of the best seasons in Texas history. I, you and I had talked about it. I thought he was going to be more fluid when he came in. I mean, the initial impression, obviously, like you said, was to, to blow the cover off and to essentially be what Katie Cannon was for Baylor because he was headed there. He was going to be headed into that system. The whole Baylor thing uh, went down. And then he comes here, and I, I, I expected more. And I'll be the first to say he is ter- – but I expected more – he gets to his junior year last year, and that was perfect. I was like, that's enough. you got great hands. You, you know, you, you're, a, you're a solid, dependable receiver who has some chemistry with Sam now when things break down. We saw that. I never thought he was going to be this, even when I expected him to be that five-star guy. Yeah, there's no dispute he's our number one receiver. He's no. Sam's guy. Uh, and by the way, that, that throw that Sam threw uh, near the end zone, the crosser where Duvernay came across the formation – and he laid it just right perfectly into his hands. Would have been good in an NFL game. You mean the corner? It, that corner route. Yeah. Gorgeous. It like, was. That's beautiful. Well, and the and other thing that, about that that I love is they went to max protect. They realized the coverage they had and that they were probably going to get some pressure, and they go, to, they go to max protect, and guess who recognizes where it's coming from and picks it up? That old veteran running back, Roshan Johnson. Oh, it's amazing. He's that guy, been crazy, he, man. He's crazy. And, yeah, if you look at that play, they picked up the entire Max Blitz, bit, uh, Blitz flawlessly. The offensive line was completely dominant. You said the last podcast this is the best Texas offensive line since 2006. That's not even disputable anymore. No. Uh, those guys dominated. I watched the game. I always pay attention to offensive line play. Every single one of those guys dominated the guy in front of them for four quarters. And – probably left some meat on the bone if we'd been even more aggressive in the fourth quarter when OSU was really starting to tire out. And Keontae Ingram, he uh, looks like a different guy without the knee brace. Yeah, you, you think so? So we've been talking about his burst. We had Brian Davis from the Statesman on, and he had mentioned that. He said, look, I really think the knee brace is going to be a big thing just from talking to the kid. Psychologically, it obviously meant something. 
But that was the burst or close to the burst we're used to seeing to go with the extra 20 pounds of muscle. So I think we, we have our answer. We, we're wondering if it's extra weight. We're wondering if, if it's a confidence issue. We're wondering maybe was it the brace? Well, I think the answer is it was the brace. And now he's got two weeks to rest, further yep. recover, fortify. And uh, I think West Virginia is in for some trouble when we roll into West Virginia. I think he, I think, I don't think Ingram's going out, going out of the game plan. I don't think so either. Hey, I want to ask you before we move on offensively, we've gotten a lot of text on this. I've had a lot of questions on this. If Texas does lose that game, you go back to when offensively it felt like they were just trying to drain the clock and maybe got, maybe got way too, or too conservative with how they were playing it. Do you go for the throat at that point and just try and, and finish that thing during one of those drives in the fourth quarter? So we were running the ball successfully. Right. So that in and of itself is not a bad strategy, particularly when you're up 13, you want to run some time off the clock. That feeling that we had not been aggressive enough was heightened because of that fumbled punt. Yep. It, had that not occurred, I don't think that would have been held in such sharp contrast. We also threw the ball a little bit. Uh, it was incomplete. We had a tip. And then I think what really stuck out to people were two separate drives after that uh, fumbled punt, which was, on third and nine or third and eight, I believe, they handed off the ball to Ingram, and he got five, and we punted. So we were kind of satisfied to just punt effectively there. And then on that third and one Ellinger quarterback draw, I think people thought we played it too close to the vest. So I think within that sphere, that's a, that's a legitimate criticism. I think, if, I think the coaches trust Sam, and I think if they had it back, they would just keep the ball in Sam's hands and let him play the offense, and we'd probably win 43 to 30 or whatever it would have been. I do love the third down call, and that was kind of what I was hoping for. You, you get action going one way, you've been able to run the ball, and you boot, boot off of that with a, if someone's wide-ass open, you can throw it. If not, especially if they're in man coverage and their backs are, are, are turned and they're running with their guy. I mean, Cade Brewer was really smart on that one. He just kind of threw up a, a shade block. He put his hands up because the guy was already done and he knew Sam was going to get the first down and thought, you know what, I'm not going to get called for something stupid. That was, a, that was a nice design, as was the throw to Cade for the touchdown. Yep, Cade was a coach on the field, Kevin. <laughs> Are you saying, and, uh, you're saying that because he's white. Yeah, I only describe white people in that way. Right. It's, it's, it's one of the reasons our podcast is so racist. <laughs> Uh, you know, I just think overall, if you look at the office, it's a testimony to the fact that we kind of blew a couple of key short yardage calls that would have led to more downs, would have certainly led to touchdowns the way we were moving up and down the field. We still finished with almost 500 yards and 36 points on the scoreboard. Kevin, we are not that far away from slogging through the early part of last year, slogging through all of 2017. Offense is easy right now. And it just shows the power of an offensive line, a great fully formed quarterback who's completely in charge of his offense, and a bunch of talented skill guys. Yeah, and, and good coaches who can scheme them up. You're right. It, it wasn't that long ago that we were in that spot. All right, let's, let's look ahead here because this is a weird off week for Texas and Texas fans. You, you have to be realistic with stuff, and they're so beat up in the secondary, and also even the guys when they were completely healthy. There were questions about cornerbacks. I never thought Caden Stearns was completely healthy. He's out now for more than a few weeks. 
Hopefully, B.J. Foster will be able to come back. But Jalen Green is out. Josh Thompson is out. When does this get to that panic moment or at least that moment of, you know what, if this team wins eight or nine games this year, considering what's going on or if it gets worse, that's going to be pretty damn good. Yeah, thankfully, we have a lot of depth. And Montreal Hostel actually played very well against Oklahoma State. He, he took did. a while to heat up. But then he played good ball. Uh, Chris Brown has been a revelation. He's yeah. probably been second or third best player on the defense consistently over the course of the year. And then, um, you know, Deshaun Jameson at least showed some good aggression. And I think Kobe Boyce covered better. He was getting uh, the secondary Oklahoma State receivers. So it was an easier gig than trying to deal with the, with Wallace. But, yeah, I mean – I think we can withstand these injuries and get through the schedule, at least the, the intermediate term with, with Stearns and Green slated to return in four weeks. Thompson, Thompson's going to be out for the season. And then uh, Tillman, Marcus Tillman, I think he's gone for the season as well. You can so, redshirt him too. Yeah, if we too. can get B.J. Foster back, if we can get DeMario and Overshawn back, we'll be okay. You can, we can get through West Virginia. We can certainly get through Kansas. The obvious issue is, is, is Oklahoma. And you want to be at full strength when you're playing Jalen Hurts and, and Lincoln Riley's passing offense. Yeah, and they're not going to be. I mean, that that we know right now. Yep. The beauty of Dallas is that uh, you almost kind of have to throw some of that out. And it's just who plays better on that day. And there's no series in which bad or poor or even inferior Texas teams have beaten good Oklahoma teams and vice versa than anything I've ever seen in any other rivalry. So, um, you know, I don't want to do the Cotton Bowl magic thing and just say, well, I don't know, but I don't know. And you just play that game and be glad that you've got a great offensive line and Sam Ellinger flinging the ball around. Yeah, and just turn it into a shootout. And like you said, hope some of those guys and Estelle or someone like that can, uh, can play well. The good thing is they have a couple weeks at least to get ready for that. I expect Orlando and Herman to have really good game plans for that. Hey, I want to ask you about kind of a, a broader topic here because Texas was able to flip an AM recruit, and it does seem like there was a vacuum there with these two programs, Jimbo and Herman, going at each other, and that there was a lot at stake the next year or so and how that was going to determine the next five or six years. Don't want to get ahead of myself here too much, but the last month or two, even Aggies, even Aggies will tell you, Texas is really gaining some momentum. How much can we take out of that? You know what? They have been gaining momentum, and I want to revisit that. But I want to talk a little bit about momentum on this podcast, Mr. Dunn. Oh, uh, we're getting some, aren't we? We're getting some momentum. In fact, uh, we have gotten some great feedback from some folks. And I want to read one of those testimonials from a gentleman named Peter. I'm not going to share his last name. I'm not sure he's, if he wants that. But he was listening to our ad for Gabe Winslow at Mortgage Solutions. And Gabe is at 832-557-1095. We talked about the fact that Gabe has all the solutions possible for your mortgages, whether it's a refi, whether it's a new loan, whether you want to uh, restructure debt. The name tells you what he does. He creates mortgage solutions. And we said, if you mention the podcast, if you mention everyone gets a trophy, if you mention Kevin and Paul sent you, you'll get $500 off of your appraisal, which is a phenomenal deal. Well, one of our listeners took us up on that deal, and Peter contacted Gabe, and this is what he wrote. Last week, my wife and I put a $500 deposit on a loan application for a mortgage refinance. When I was looking through the numbers, I told my wife I wanted to see if an analyst could beat the high closing costs. They would have to do it by at least $500 to cover our deposit. 
The next day, I was listening to your podcast and heard your promotion for Mortgages by Gabe, specifically that podcast listeners got $500 off the appraisal. I called Gabe. Dude answers on the first ring. The next day, he crunched the numbers, figured out how to save me three grand off closing costs, and saved him a quarter up front, which is going to be worth about $8,000 over the course of his loan. And then Peter finishes by saying, I definitely got my trophy on that one. And Peter is a pastor. So talk about testimonial on multiple levels, right? <laughs> right. Peter's a pastor in San Marcos. He's at the Springs Church. Uh, stop on by, say hi to Peter. You can talk Longhorn football, and you could talk about the incredible deal he got from Gabe at Mortgage Solutions. Once again, it's 832-557-1095. Whatever you want to do in terms of structuring your debt, in terms of getting a mortgage, anything regarding a home loan, take advantage of these incredible interest rates. Take advantage of this amazing $500 in your pocket offer. Give them a call. Let them work for you. It can't hurt you, and there's a good chance, like Peter, you're going to be really happy. That's crazy. It was actually 3100 I mean, that's 100 bucks you're uh, you're calling out there or, or leaving I'm out sorry. there, Paul. I, I no, threw away 100 bucks. Yeah, you do that all the time. It, it is really impressive, though, and like you said, it's going to be something like over 8000 that he ends up – saving Paul and, or I'm sorry, Peter. And that's pretty impressive. Gabe knows what he's doing. He's definitely the guy to call. Yep. So, Hey, we want to talk about A&M and Texas recruiting and the worm shifting. You know, I, I think it's very interesting. I, I don't know what to attribute that to other than the fact that I don't know. I, some kind of shine has gone off of A&M and Jimbo of late. And I'm not sure what that's about. And what's interesting is their class, if you look at it, they've got three really high-rated five-stars. I think two of them are very legitimate five-stars, particularly Damon Demas, who's phenomenal. But the bottom of their class isn't quite as strong. And, you know, it's still a nationally ranked class. You know, they're going to finish certainly ranked in the top 15. But, yeah, there's something happening. And I'm not really sure I can put my finger on it. And uh, you just kind of get that sense in the wind. And I think it has to do, I think, in no small part because of what's happening with the Texas offense. Because I just don't think Jimbo has a very good pitch when you see what Texas is doing every Saturday and then you turn on the channel and, and watch, what, watch A&M going through a hard slog against Auburn. And just watching them run offense seems like a chore. Well, he's known as an offensive guy and a quarterback guru in running a pro-style offense that can be complicated and it takes time to get – we just haven't seen it yet with them, and you're right. I think that was a receiver who had flipped, and if I'm a young receiver, and I'm, it's like Texas back in the day when we were running our crap and people would turn on and say, you know what, I want to go to Baylor. Well, in terms of football, I get it. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing to sell a vision of your offense and your system. It's another thing to show people it. Yeah, no, I, I, think, I think that's a good way to put it, and Texas has been able to do that. Uh, defensively, they're flying around right now, and I, I just hope that they can continue to get difference makers. They need to go get cornerbacks, and they need to go get uh, a, a, an edge rusher in their system that can really make a difference. Yep, and you know what's interesting, Kevin, is as much as a and may, may be struggling a little bit, or at least I'm going to say struggling, but their momentum has been blunted, you've certainly seen that on the field whenever they've played a real team Uh Auburn, that game was not a 28-20 game. Uh, that was, they got some courtesy points there at the end. But what's interesting is I don't think A&M's record is going to show it because as I discussed with you and Chad when I called in on Friday, the bottom half of the SEC is 
absolutely terrible. It is. It is the worst P5 conference of any of the conferences with respect to depth. And I will readily concede that the top of the conference is, is the strongest. Uh, LSU, Alabama, we think I'm, – I'm, I'm sold. They're good. But, man, so I predicted to you guys that Cal, who was an underdog, was going to go out and, and upset Ole Miss in Oxford. They were a three-and-a-half-point underdog. They won by eight in Oxford. Anytime you have a chance to, to short or to, to fade the bottom half of the SEC – I strongly recommend people do that because later that day, Arkansas lost to San Jose State. So here are some of the SEC losses that they've incurred so far. They have a sub-500 record against P5 teams. Uh, so they lost to Cal and Ole Miss. San Jose uh, whipped Arkansas. It was 24-7 at halftime. Tennessee lost to Georgia State. That's an abomination with Jeremy Pruitt. Uh, Missouri lost to Wyoming. Ole Miss lost to Memphis. Uh, South Carolina lost to UNC. Kansas State, of course, went out and handled Mississippi State. It was, what, was a much more physical team if you watched that game. And then Purdue laid a whipping on Vandy. So I, I just think the SEC is a lot of hype on the bottom half. It, it's, it's terrible, frankly. And A&M has all of those teams on their schedule. So, yeah, they have LSU. They have Alabama. But they're also playing the South Carolinas. They're playing the Old Misses. They're playing the Mississippi States. And even though if the Aggies are struggling a little bit on offense, I'm, I'm going to pencil in a bunch of those games as W's for A&M. Yeah, and it'll put them at that middle tier. They're certainly nowhere near an elite team, but uh, I think you have more separation in the SEC. Tennessee, this is probably the worst Tennessee team I think I've ever seen. And look, there's no talent, too. I watched that Georgia State game. I've watched some of their games, and Pruitt has his hands full with that. You're exactly right. Kansas State, if they didn't do what we did and muff two punts, in that game, there was another turnover that they had after intercepting uh, uh, the Mississippi State quarterback. They win that thing by three touchdowns. That's a physical football team. That's going to be a real physical game when Texas plays them. And they've kind of sneaked up as one of those opponents, like they can, that I'm looking at and thinking, Texas can lose that game. Yeah, they've surprised me. I, I thought they'd have more of a drop-off, uh, particularly because they'd lost some of their receivers and their offensive line – uh, not their best, and but they've gotten really good play from Skylar Thompson. I've always liked that guy at quarterback, and he's a player. He's a gamer, and they're very physical on defense. They're not perfect. Uh, they're not ultra talented, but one thing about Kansas State is they're old. I mean, that they are as old as like the classic BYU teams. These guys are all redshirted. They all went to JUCO. Hairline. These guys. Yeah, I mean, every they have something like eighteen of their twenty-two starters are fourth or fifth year players. So, you know, that helps. That helps in college football. It's, it's very hard to blow out an experienced veteran team and they stay in the game and, and they're, they've got a decent quarterback. So we'll see how they flesh out. I think people may be a little too impressed with them based on the Mississippi State game because of some assumption that Mississippi State had some SEC glow about them. Yeah. That's just a bad football team. The, the whole, I, I guess I can't stress enough to people that the bottom half of the SEC sucks. Yeah, and if they played awful. a tournament against the bottom half of the other P5 conferences, they'd get stunk. Yeah, well, look, I mean, the whole SEC narrative is ridiculous. I, I saw a Sports Center guy after Notre Dame was just blown out by Georgia. I mean, that was such an ass-kicking. Oh, wait a minute, Notre Dame was driving to win that thing and lost by six. If you didn't yep. take Notre Dame in the points on that, you know, just keep on going with your narrative. 
the reality is Notre Dame had beat the last three SEC teams they played, and the last time they played Georgia a couple years ago, that was a 2019 stalemate. The, both defenses dominated again. No doubt Notre Dame is not at the top three, top four, top five elite, but if Georgia's in that top five elite, they can play with them. And it, it just gets back to anyway. I, I saw a sport. I heard a Sports Center guy Sunday nights saying talking about Todd Gurley and saying, "Oh, he's in you know already enjoying the weekend after." Georgia dismantled Notre Dame. It does, it, you, you don't, it's like you don't even have to watch the game or actually know what happened. You just want to run with your SEC narrative. And when you combine that with Notre Dame sucks and can't play a Division One team, well, that's just a happy marriage, right? Unbelievable. Yeah, it's. I'm happy to give credit where credit's due, but the constant propping up and polishing of, of an imperfect product, right. particularly once you get past the marquee teams, it pisses me off. I'm with and, you. And Notre Dame played very well. So, but you know who's not playing I mean, they very actually, well right now? They actually didn't, though. They actually, they, I mean, that's the other thing. They actually didn't play very well. They actually had 12. Well, I don't p- mean they executed well. I mean, they went out and competed. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Sorry, uh, I'm, getting, I'm getting Irish angry on you here. I need to. You are getting Irish angry. Well, <laughs> which, which you love, though, usually. Irish, I'm not sure if you're having Irish schadenfreude about the circumstances of one of your traditional Notre Dame rivals, but Michigan's struggling, man. So I, I, I want to get your take on this because after San Diego, then Stanford, then the Niners, maybe it's just all, you know, on the West Coast. But Jim Harbaugh, who I thought was supremely overrated when he was at Michigan, and he was. Jim Harbaugh was first-team All-American. He got a lot of hype. Harbaugh wasn't that great, that great of a college quarterback and then was okay in the pros. But I was blown away by how he came onto the coaching scene, starting with the Toreros at San Diego. It felt like you were always going to get more than, than you thought he was going to give you, and they were always physical. And they, they, there was just something about those teams. I expected that to especially happen at Michigan. When he came in, there was all this recruiting crap that he was doing and just trying to, trying to get as much attention on them as possible. I really figured – by by this time, these are all his guys that Michigan was going to look completely different. Their offensive line is not a top 25 offensive line. I said that last week. I knew that all offseason. Just the Jimmy and the Joes were not going to work. But they've got talent on the outside. They've got Josh Gaddis, who is their new offensive coordinator, the guy who's going to come in to, to implement the spread and try and give them some new ideas, some more 2019 ideas. Here's the problem with them, though. They're in between that and what Harbaugh really wants to do, which is what Wisconsin did to them. And they have no identity right now. This is a there are some serious issues going on up there. I wonder how long he's going to stay. Yeah, you nailed it. And I don't know what's going on because here's the the rub that's so interesting. Everyone knows that Harbaugh is a guy that wears people wrong, wears people badly at like the management or administrative level. Uh, when he was at the Niners. He didn't get along with his GM. He didn't get along with ownership. He didn't get along with some of the structures of the, the organization, rightfully, by the way. Uh, but same thing, eh, I think at Stanford, you know, the idea was, eh, you know, Jim can be hard to deal with. He's a little stubborn, whatever. But his players love him, or the players I've talked to. So I went and saw a, a Kansas State-Stanford game a few years ago, uh, a couple years ago, actually, in, in uh, Palo Alto, and sat – next to a guy who played offensive line for Stanford for Harbaugh. And I just sat the entire game and just asked him questions and, and drilled down. And what it made of it even more, you'll know this got me excited. This guy was a college wrestler, and he oh. wrestled Brock Lesnar. Oh, Lord. 
This poor guy had no idea. That must have been an awful night for him. You know what? It, he he hung in there, but yeah, he lost. <laughs> he lost the match. But uh, so uh, I was asking about Harbaugh, and he's like, "I'd do anything for. Him. I'd run through a wall." Uh, and he just said he was so much fun to play for. He imbued you with so much confidence. And he said, you know, we had some teams that had no business playing with some of the teams we played with. And he said, now later, we did have legit talent. When we got Andrew Luck, when we got, you know, some of the other tight ends, we built out the offensive line. We were good. Yeah. But he said, before that, we were taking it to USC. And he said, you know, every, he said 18 of their 22 starters were better than ours. Yeah. And we would take it to them. And it was just physicality. It was mindset. It was Harbaugh convincing you you could run through a wall. And I don't know why that hasn't translated to Michigan, but it has not translated to Michigan. And I don't know what's going on. You're, but you're right. It's the lack of identity. You know, maybe Harbaugh, did he, did he panic? Because they were going 10-3 and three every year, weren't they? Yeah, but they, they weren't beating. Yes, they were. And, that, and I would bring that point up on radio. I'd say, well, hang on. I mean, they're, they're winning 9, 10 games. They just can't beat Ohio State, who's top five. So Michigan's not top five. But it's easier to get to the top five if you're in the top 10. And I felt like they were in the back end of that. And now I, I don't know where the hell they are. Uh, I don't know well, what did he Jim does. Harbaugh, did, did Jim Harbaugh abandon his plan, which seems to be tried and true at every level, Yeah. did he abandon his plan because of that criticism and, and lose his culture and identity in the process? I think it's a great question, and I think you may be right. Yeah, I, I, as for someone who, who sticks with his ideals as much as Harbaugh does, I do think there was a, a moment where, and this is one of the things I like about Harbaugh, is that he doesn't go, and Saban's like this, where Look, they have their shit that they really believe in, and they're going to run with it. But if if anyone brings an idea and says, we can make your business better, we can make your football team better, we can make your offense better, they care so much about winning, they'll open the ear. Yeah, you're right. I mean, Saban has re- re- repeatedly reinvented himself. Uh, he's he done it kicking and screaming on defense. Right. He adapted to the spread. Uh, he's still in the process of trying to adapt because Clemson keeps running slot streaks on them and pick right up the middle and, and Saban's <laughs> defense can't cope with it. But yeah, I mean, he's adjusted to the times he's adjusted. He's opened up the offense. He's turned over the keys to Tua. I mean, he, he there's no Greg McElroy anymore playing at, at, at Bama. They're just trying to beat you with the best possible athletes running the best schemes. But Harbaugh, man, I don't understand it. I don't know what's going on. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell on myself, man, when we were hiring and we ended up hiring Charlie strong, uh, Harbaugh was one of my one or two top candidates. I really was hoping that Texas could somehow get him. Oh, I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. It kind of shows you how funny coaching can be because I think both of us are pretty damn happy with Herman. Now, I'll say this. Both of us liked Herman a lot and felt like that type of power spread could get it done here. And um, no no regrets there. All right, before we end this thing and, uh, and have our little off week, we will be back, of course, next week. This is the every, Everyone Gets a Trophy podcast Kevin Dunn Paul Wadlington and luckily we're able to still use this studio here at Austin Radio Network where I do my uh, afternoon show because last week I as I'm setting this stuff up and I'm pretty green on this you can probably listen to the first couple episodes and maybe even this one and tell that I'm paying attention but I'm also looking at levels and I haven't done this stuff forever I turned off one of our radio stations for more than an hour, Paul. <laughs> yeah, can you please explain exactly what that means, Kevin? 
That means that Austin Radio Network has six or seven, maybe eight different radio stations, and the horn that I work for has FM 104.9, AM 1260, and so I went into one of these rooms, and I'm getting it all set up, and my main focus is making sure our, our levels are okay and making sure this thing gets recorded and taking in your call from Skype, which makes sure everything sounds good. And I just kind of gave one of those. I asked Brad, I said, I said, BK, I said, can I just turn off that other stuff? He goes, yeah, just turn it off. So I just hit <laughs> off on everything and brought everything down just to make sure that our little habitat is all good. You know when I give you pep talks before your radio show and I say wreck shop, Kevin? Yes, which I love. I need that tonight. I don't mean that literally. <laughs> <laughs> That's oh. unbelievable. Kevin Dunn turned off an AM radio station. <laughs> over an hour here's the best thing i'm not sure if it means i have leverage up here not one email not one call i think brad took a took the brunt of it from dave who runs everything around here and i ran into dave today when i walked in i said hey dave i'm going to go record we're paul and i are doing the podcast uh i'm really sorry about last week he goes ah whatever it's funny yeah, if you want a little insight into to Kevin's ratings in his afternoon show, I think the punishment that he received for turning off a radio station <laughs> tells you where he sits at the moment. So uh, it's good to be the king, Kevin. Yeah, it is, but you do that too many times, and all of a sudden you're going to get called in. So I, I'm taking this as a get-out-of-jail-free card. But, I mean, I literally turned off a station. I don't know how much money that would have been with advertising, I don't know exactly what it turned into. They're just they're treating me like a prima donna receiver, and I'm going to Antonio Brown this thing all the way as far as I can. Absolutely, and we we'd be remiss if we didn't close with talking about the king of mortgages, mortgage solutions. That's Gabe Winslow. You can reach him at eight three two five five seven ten ninety five. That's one zero nine five. You can also email him at gabekmg at gmail dot com, or you can go to his website. It's mortgagesbygabe.com. I didn't say www there, Kevin. Hey, you know what? You're getting better. I've gotten better this week because I haven't turned off a radio station that I know of. And you've gotten better without the www dot. And don't forget to, yeah. Very good. So, hey, contact Gabe, y'all. Whatever your debt mortgage solution that you need, whatever it might be, if you want to find a way to refi, shorten your arm loan, get out of a balloon payment, you want to restructure your credit card debt, just give Gabe a call. He's going to figure it out. He's going to save you a bunch of money like he did for Peter that we talked about earlier in the call, over $8,000. And uh, it doesn't take any time or effort to get $500 in your pocket on an appraisal from us. You're, you're welcome, by the way. Yeah, yeah, you're welcome. And uh, give Gabe a call. Just find out what he can do for you. And I can assure you, you're going to probably get a good, good solution. So call Gabe at 832-557-1095. We've had one customer who we talked about, and he saved him up to 3100 up front and could be a little over 8000 So that, that should be enough to get people there, correct? Yep. We can lead the horse to water. It's up to you all to drink. So give Gabe a call. And uh, if you guys could also, you may notice that we're really taking off. The podcast is doing great on iTunes. We've already got 31 five-star reviews. It means a lot to us. For those of you who have gone and rated, reviewed, and subscribed, it means a ton to us. It's huge to the growth of the podcast. And it allows us to keep providing you with free content, free material. So if you haven't yet, go to iTunes, subscribe, rate, review, tell other people about it, and uh, let's keep this momentum up. We're, kick, we're kicking ass right now, and we're going to – 
We're going to turn off radio stations if people don't listen to us. Right. Hey, as we're going to turn off radio stations. Uh, I want to make sure I'm at least a part of this because I'm also part of a radio station. I'm having a, bl- a blast so far, Paul. Let's also give a little love to AV Consultations. If you're in the Central Texas area and you want to get the perfect TV set up, they've been doing it for 30 plus years. So if you walk into a Pluckers and you see the four TVs that turn into one or the TV that's in the bathroom, no matter what you're looking for, they can do it because they've done it. 255-8678. That's 512-255-8678. Or just get to avconsultations.com. A bye week for us, my man. So let's enjoy it. Let's relax. I want you to really relax and just kind of get into that San Francisco, no cow, no cow mode, my man. All right. Well, I'm going to I'm gonna try, and then I'm going to find a bunch of needles and oh, human great. feces on the sidewalk, and I'll probably get out of that mode pretty quickly, Kevin. All right. Well, Austin's turning into that, so in five years you can move down here, and you're going to be right at home. Good times. Had a ball. We'll see you guys next week.